Hi, I'm Phil Moorhart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association, and this is Call Number with American Libraries. After more than a year of enduring a global pandemic, the world is slowly opening up, and just in time. Spring is here, and summer is just around the corner, and it finds people emerging from their homes, eager to take in some outdoor activities. And libraries are here to help. Today, on Call Number with American Libraries, we celebrate being outside again with conversations about bugs, beach reads, and outdoor learning. First, ALA Edition's Senior Acquisitions Editor, Rachel Chance, speaks with Aaron Rothenbuehler and Sean Duffy from Ohio County Public Library in Wheeling, West Virginia, about a series of programs they offer on bugs, most notably the Brood 10 Cicadas. Next, American Library's Associate Editor, Sally M. Price, talks with Susan McGuire, Senior Editor of Collection Management and Library Outreach at Bookless Magazine, about the summer's best beach reads. And finally, I speak with Denny Grissel from Delmont Library in Delmont, Pennsylvania, about their brand new outdoor learning center. But first, a word from our sponsors. The American Library Association's 2021 Annual Conference and Exhibition Virtual is coming up fast, June 23rd to June 29th to be exact. Join us for seven days of speakers like Barack Obama, Billie Jean King, Trisha Yearwood, David Copperfield, Nicole Hannah-Jones, Stanley Tucci, and Padma Lakshmi. Programs, meetings, and much more, all from the safety and comfort of home. And for those attending, be sure to check out Daily Scoop, American Library's conference e-newsletter with highlights of each day's speakers, sessions, and events. It's the perfect way to relive your favorite annual moments and prepare for upcoming days of the conference. To register for ALA Annual Virtual and to find out more information, visit 2021.alaannual.org. That's 2021.alaannual.org. For a good portion of the U.S., there's a buzz in the air, a loud buzz, a cicada buzz. The Brood 10 cicadas have emerged after 17 years underground and they're everywhere. Up to 1.4 million cicadas can be found per acre in affected areas, according to Scientific American. But why do they do it? What's so special about cicadas? And bugs in general? Patrons at Ohio County Public Library in Wheeling, West Virginia can find out at the library's Bugs and People program, a live stream that's part of the library's successful People's University Lifelong Learning Series. ALA Edition's Senior Acquisitions Editor, Rachel Chance, recently spoke with Aaron Rothenbuehler, the web administrator and one of the library's local history specialists, and Sean P. Duffy, Program Director and Local History Specialist at the library, about the program. She starts with a question for Aaron. Enjoy. Well, uh, researching People's University, I ran across a teaser on your website for your latest series of courses that asked the question, what do cicadas and people have in common? And the answer is both are reemerging and reuniting this summer. Um, and that stopped me in my tracks because it, it felt like such an insightful and interesting convergence. 
uh, to many of us humans, this past year may have felt like 17 years, but for the cicadas of Brood X, it's a reality. Will you tell us about this new course series and how it was inspired by the reemergence of Brood X? Um, well, I guess when we're when we're thinking about new people's universities, um, we try to think of you know what what will be of interest to our patrons and um, you know, current events always work well or anniversaries of we're doing a history program and um, honestly my brother had just sent me a, a, an infographic about the emergence of the cicadas and you know, the entomology is something that we haven't done yet and it just seems like a, you know a, a fun way to get the, the people involved in something that they would be seeing this summer um, and give a little bit of background on not just cicadas but insects the insect world and how people interact with insects. And so, um, you know, I talked to Sean about it and he thought it would be a good idea too. So we, we ran with it. Such a natural metaphor. Like, uh, you know, they, they've been underground for 17 years and we're complaining because we had a year that we had to stay in our houses basically or wear a mask. And now, uh, you know, we have to relearn how to interact. It's like we're emerging from, mm-hmm. you know, basis. So it was a natural fit for the promotional. Um, apart, apart from the lectures, the, the range of activities offered for people attending Bugs and People um, is pretty impressive. It runs from a book pairing and participation in citizen science through an app that was actually developed by one of the instructors to social media challenges that are fun um, with, um, with cicadas and cicada-themed prizes and um, an in-person guided field trip to identify insects. How do library staff select and coordinate these activities, and um, which have been the most popular? You know, we're we're always trying to figure out how to engage the community, and um, this has been a way, especially since we've had to move to to online programming, um, you know, a way to engage the community is having these prize giveaways. and then with the, the in-person, with our, we have the, the giant cicada at the library that we're encouraging people to come and take their photos and post it online with BroodPU, um, the hashtag. And, uh, you know, it's just another way to get people to start coming back into the library post-COVID, well, you know, during this time when we're reopening. And, um, you know, it's... Our summer reading theme this year is Reading Colors Your World, so we've got this big, colorful cicada to uh, tie in. And um, it, it, we're just any way we can engage the, the community in a way that's fun, um, we try to do that. And so that's you know, with these prizes. Um, we've got the uh, tin collage cicada that people can win um, if they take their photo with the, the cicada. Um, you know, we just try to keep it lighthearted, even though the subject matter is is pretty scientific at times and um, academic. We try to keep everything lighthearted so that it, it doesn't seem overwhelming and it, there's still an element of fun and everything. One of the things I was most impressed about um, in watching the the lectures were the was the fun that the instructors seemed to be having, um, participating, and their obvious excitement. Uh, was infectious, so um, they're obviously happy to be there, and it shows. Part of the reason for that is, you know, they're they're academics, 
and they're used to teaching at a certain level. And here they get to, uh, to do some outreach with, uh, you know, people who aren't students of entomology, uh, many of whom are younger children, and they get to sort of relive why they love entomology, why they love bugs, right? So that, that's part of the fun of it. So what opportunities do you have in the library to share insects with um, the larger community? One of our staff members is an enthusiast, and uh, he has uh, bred and raised uh, praying mantises. And so I'll let Aaron continue here from here. So, oh, so Nate is in the process of um, procuring a, a mantis, and we're going to be creating a vivarium, like a, a living environment where this um, this mantis can be inside the library in a in an aquarium, uh, a self-sustaining aquarium setting. Well, it won't be uh, a more of a terrarium than an aquarium, and we have set up a Twitch account, which We'll be able to live stream 24 hours a day inside the um, inside this aquarium, filming the mantis as it molts and grows. So that is uh, one of the in-person things that people can come to the library and see is this aquarium that they can see on the website, and then come in and see the mantis in person. And um, our coworker Nate is going to be socializing the mantis, so eventually we'll be able to take it out of the tank and let it um, let people interact with it um, in in the library on special occasions. I think it, it'll be a pretty neat feature to have. Oh, my goodness. It's super cool. I'm looking forward to it. And I think I learned a lot about mantises already, including the fact that they're quite intelligent and, as Aaron said, will interact with people um, and can be socialized. So here in Chicago... Um, we have to wait until 2024 for Brood 13 to emerge. Um, what advice do you have for library staff in the areas with broods um, emerging in the next few years who are interested in providing programming on that topic for their communities? Well, I'll go first. My advice would be, like some of the things we've said already, just have fun with it. Part of the, uh, the importance of these classes is that, you know, people, some people may start to think of cicadas as a nuisance or uh, may even have believe in myths that they're dangerous or whatever. It's a good opportunity to uh, engage people and teach them about uh, the, the benefits of insects and uh, the good side of cicadas and why we should embrace, uh, you know, their, their reemergence. I, mean, I know all of us remember when we were kids. You can tell time by the cicadas, right? Um, and, it, and those are good memories. ALA Job List is the award-winning source for jobs in library science and technology. If you're looking for a new job or an employer who wants to advertise a job opening, Job List has you covered. Job seekers can refine and filter services by position type, employer, location, post resumes, and automate alerts to never miss a posting. Employers can rest easy knowing that ALA reaches the engaged professionals that you want to hire. It also simplifies recruiting by offering flat rate pricing, discounted multi-ad packages, and enhanced postings for increased visibility. 
ALA Job List. It's where job seekers and employers get results. Visit joblist.ala.org for more information or to begin your search today. Get on the list. With beaches reopening this summer, one thing that weighs heavy on the minds of many book lovers is the very important question, what to read on the beach. Luckily, Susan McGuire, Senior Editor, Collection Management and Library Outreach at Bookless Magazine, is here to help. She spoke with American Library's Associate Editor, Salian Price, about her beach read picks for the summer and more. Susan, how do you define a beach read? Because it seems to sort of transcend genre. Yeah, I mean, it is so broad that it's, I don't want to say it's meaningless because then there would be no point in us talking right now um, because it it is a meaningful term, but I think it's not defined by the genre. Um, and it is sort of like a beach body, you know, like whatever you have is your own definition. But I think some hallmarks of a beach read, it has to be, the main thing is it has to be immersive. It has to sort of take you somewhere um, and keep you there for the length of the book. So usually books with a strong sense of place will fit the bill. Um, but even, even a book that's just on a really random, interesting topic, it, a lot of immersiveness is sort of defined by what the reader is interested in, if that makes sense. I'm a big fan of the beach read that has been um, abandoned at somebody's cottage that you're staying at. <laughs> yes, those are the best. Actually, those are the best beach reads. Um, my list is going to mean nothing. Just go rent an Airbnb and see what's left over. Precisely, precisely. Um, which leads me to my next question. Susan, what is in your tote bag this summer? There's so much in my tote bag um, that it's overflowing. Um, I got a few suggestions. So I'm going to give you some, start off with some like women's fiction slash relationship fiction, sort of in the Jennifer Weiner, Ellen Hildebrand bent. Um, the first is called The Summer Job by Lizzie Dent. And that came out in May from Putnam. And it's about a woman who, um, whose best friend is an up and coming sommelier and she gets a job at a remote Scottish resort. Um, and then the best friend is like, actually, I'm going to go to Italy with my boyfriend instead of taking this job. And so the woman's like, well, I like wine. <laughs> I'll go do your job. Um, hilarity ensues. It is a mess. She doesn't actually know about wine, but she starts to grow in confidence. And then it's one of those um, things of, of the chiclet genre where like the, the woman starts to learn about things outside her and then also learning about things inside herself. So it's got this like emotional uh, emotional thread through it. There's a hot sous chef, so that's fun. Um, <laughs> yes, and it's just a, a beautiful escapist delight and people love British chiclet. And this is a great, super fun example of it and definitely goes in the beach bag. Um, are you seeing this year with um, new fiction coming out this summer? Are you seeing any trends, particularly like with people coming out of quarantine and kind of back out into the world? I mean, there's definitely been a lot of nonfiction about pandemics and um, none of those were on my list of suggestions for you today. Because I just feel like we've already been immersed in the pandemic. So like as an immersive escape, uh, you know, Lawrence writes the plague year is not gonna be really 
tickling anyone's beach fancy. Although maybe it will. I mean, I'm not here to judge. I'm just saying it's not going to be the first thing I suggest to you. Um, I don't think we are seeing so much yet. There's like a few kind of post-pandemic books trickling in, but I think I think there will be more uh, maybe in the fall or spring, but not so far this summer. So we talked a little bit about some of the um, the chiclet or maybe kind of relationship-based uh, fiction that we that we often see people picking up in the summer. Um, did you have any more kind of oddball type suggestions for kind of weird journeys folks could go on? Yeah, I absolutely do. Of course I do. Um, so there's a couple. Um, one is, uh, let me let me give you a non-beach beach read suggestion. It's set in um, Iceland in the 80s. It's called The Girl Who Died by Ragnar Jonathan from Minotaur that came out in May. And it's um, in the 80s, a woman uh, decides to take a teaching job at a remote village. There are 10 residents in the village. And this stranger comes to town. The residents react really strangely. There's like a supernatural element to it. And this woman is, is um, left sort of wondering where she stands with people because she's an outsider. She's also sort of an insider. So if you want that like claustrophobic, supernatural feeling, um, that's sort of the opposite of what you feel at a beach, but that's really a super page turner, then The Girl Who Died is a good suggestion. There are two nonfictions. Well, there's a million books I could talk about, but I'm gonna talk about two. One, people's kind of sleep on nonfiction as a beach read, but there's, there's a lot there that is fun and escapist um, and that can be related to your interests in life. And I think that these books are also sometimes good for people who aren't huge readers. And it's like, maybe you just aren't, you don't love getting lost in a novel. So for true crime people, true crime is super hot. Don't know if you've heard, um, but I have a book that's not about murder. It's called Confident Women, Swindlers, Grifters and Shapeshifters of the Female Persuasion by Tori Telfer. And that came out in April from Harper Perennial. And it's really kind of a light, zippy book that talks about these female scammers, fraudsters. And it's, so it's sort of a collective biography of people from all throughout history. Um, one woman infiltrated the French royal court. There's, if you follow, if you vaguely follow the news, uh, the pseudo-rich grifter Anna Delvey, who's, I think she's currently on trial, is in there. Yeah, we all know her a hipster uh, grifter. Um, so that is Confident Women and that can be a really fun escape read. And then I also wanna throw in another one cause I'm an old and I loved hard rock, hard metal or not hard metal. I mean, I liked heavy metal in the eighties which was a certain kind of heavy metal. Um, and so I would be reading nothing but a good time. The Uncensored History of the 80s Hard Rock Explosion by Tom Bojour and Richard Bienstock. And that came out in March from St. Martin's. And if you're not quite ready to venture into a rock club, into a crowd, this is a perfect way to get in there without getting in there because it has the music and it has the history of the music, um, but it also has all the debauchery and the big hair that went along with it. I think creating a Spotify playlist to go with it would be great. I think like 
if you are a Gen X adult and you have a teen child in your life, like reading it, I mean, an older teen child, um, reading it and educating them on the music of yesteryear could be a really fun summer experiment. Uh, and just, you know, immerse yourself in the hairspray. Or were there any other specific titles you wanted to recommend? I do. One is another sort of women's fiction relationship fiction one. It's, it's called A Low Country Bride by Preslacia Williams. That came out um, actually recently in June from Avon. It's a little less fluffy than The Summer Job, but you get immersed in the world of Charleston, South Carolina. It's about a wedding dress designer who um, takes a job at a family, struggling family bridal shop run by a single father who's handsome, don't worry. Um, but as like business picks up and as their connection picks up, she's like, I'm just here for the summer. How long am I going to stay? So she has to figure out things about herself. Um, and it's got, I mean, the wedding industry is always really fun to read about and it's frothy, but also um, vibrant and fun and romantic. Um, and then the last one is, I, I think pe people are hearing about this book everywhere, but I want to really recommend it as a beach read because it sort of bridges whatever gap there is between relationship fiction and suspense. And it's called The Other Black Girl by Zakia Delilah Harris. And that came out from Atria in June. And it's about a woman who for a while is the only black girl who works at her publishing house. Uh, and then another black girl gets hired and suddenly she gets a note telling her to leave. So it becomes sort of a question of who wants her to go? Why do they want her to go? But it also has an element of like skewering a very specific kind of workplace like the Devil Wears Prada did, which was all about a fashion magazine. But like if you worked in an office, you still got some of the politics that went on there. Um, but it also has elements of suspense and horror um, it's a real, a real page turner, that one. Outdoor learning opportunities are becoming a staple for many libraries, some of which are going as far as constructing their own outdoor learning facilities to accommodate these programs. Delmont Library in Delmont, Pennsylvania is one such library. Their new outdoor learning center just opened weeks ago, and I had the pleasure of speaking with Denny Grissel, the library's director, about the center what it offers the community, the importance of outdoor learning, and more. Um, now, your outdoor learning center that you just opened, it just opened up on June 5th. Um, and I, I want to encourage all of our listeners to um, to go to your Facebook page, and you can see there's a, a fascinating uh, like two-and-a-half-minute-long video that really charts the entire progress from groundbreaking through the June 5th opening. Um, it's just It's really just a great, great project to, to watch kind of you know, be birthed and, and go through fruition. Um, can you can you just take us, give us a little journey, you know, a little history of the project itself? What's uh, what was the impetus behind it? Well, the seeds of this project were planted a few years ago. Um, we had a an opportunity for a gardening grant from a local foundation. So we brought in about a hundred caterpillars to our library during our summer reading program, and we told the kids we said. These caterpillars are going to become butterflies, but these butterflies are going to need a place to live. So we grabbed a piece of patch of ground beside our library, and we created this pollinator garden. And not only did the kids love it, 
but our entire community just embraced it. And so every Monday night we would have the families come and we dubbed them the Delmont Diggers. And by the end of our summer reading program in August, we had over 150 people attend the butterfly release. So that's how it all began. Oh, wow. That's great. And, um, did the um, I'm just curious. Um, did the, the the did the pandemic impact the project at all? The, the constructions. Did you face any obstacles at all because of that? We were like everyone else. We had a little pause button on what we were doing, but because we didn't move into our new library space until January of this year, this summer was a great great time for the for the garden to happen. So we were we were thrilled with that. So it did impede it a little bit, but there was a lot of planning going on beforehand. So we really didn't didn't affect us too much. Oh, that's great. And um, you mentioned the you know the, the caterpillars. And what what else can can people find at this outdoor learning center? I've I've been reading a bit about your 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 butterfly garden. Just can you tell us a bit more about what's uh what what's what's there for patrons? It's a wonderful just a gathering place. I mean. Libraries are already an informal gathering place. So when we created this inviting space, we really literally changed the dynamic of the patron's experience. So you can not only come in and get a book. Yes, books are our bread and butter. But when you leave or before you go into our actual building, you walk through our path. It's called the Pathway to Learning. And you walk through that and you come to our garden. There's benches there that you can sit in in the shade and then you can walk in our garden. We have a butterfly pollinator area, three different gardens. We have a community herb garden. So if you're making spaghetti or something for the night, come on up, pick some parsley, oregano, take it back. And if you want, we also have a little fairy garden area. So the kids can come and they can walk across this little bridge. They can play with the little gnomes and dragons in the garden. It's just a wonderful, interactive, engaging space. We love it. Oh, great! Yeah, I, I do, and you've, you've you mentioned this that um, I love it. It's it's for every age group. Um, you have things for for kids and for adults, um, and I just kind of want to get your thoughts, kind of expanding on that. Um, why do you think it is, it's important for a library to offer outdoor learning opportunities f- for the community? Oh well, when you create an outdoor learning space for your library. I really think you're sending a message to the community. You are are just changing the way people see libraries. You're saying, okay, here's another venue to promote literacy. Here's another way we want to encourage learning. Here's another way that we can inspire creativity. You're becoming the leaders, I think, of the community and saying we are here to stay. We're just providing this other layer for you, so come on over. Oh, awesome. And um, from what I can see on, on the, that Facebook video I mentioned, it really seems like it was a community effort to get the, the, the center built. Can you, can you tell us a bit more about that, some of the outreach efforts that you did? And I know the, the pathway to uh, learning that you mentioned in particular seemed to have like a very strong community component. Can you just tell us a bit yeah. about that? Sure. It, it started with the, when we did move in in January, we said, okay, well, our, our building is, uh, it, it's like a solar panel, LED lit, geothermal heated library. So we knew that this place, the Outdoor Learning Center, was going to be our signature event. So we 
planned this garden area, and the grant we had was enough to cover that, but we went, okay, how is everybody going to get there? And we said, let's make a flat space because the kids can walk through, but maybe not the seniors. So let's provide a flat area that the, everybody can get to our garden. And that's how the, the Pathway to Paver campaign started. We set a goal of 250 bricks. You could come and you could get a brick engraved and everything. The community just responded tremendously. We had 372 pavers that were purchased. So we made this path that you could come around and do. And not only did we do that, we, the community said, well, let's do something for the kids. So inside our path, we have little emblems engraved in the bricks. So we have like a butterfly or we have a maple leaf or we have a sassafras leaf. And we're going to say to the kids, um, there's a leaf there, but what kind of leaf is that? Oh, that's a maple leaf. Well, come over here to our maple tree and look and maybe make a leaf rubbing. And the other thing, Phil, we found is that the seniors became, I guess, actually living books as such. So they're, seniors are very patient and they're very kind and they're very understanding. They answered, oh, my goodness, endless questions from these kids. So when the kids came over and they were planning their marigolds, the, the older people would say, um, you know, so why do you, why do you think that? that we're planting these marigolds. Oh, I don't know, because it's a colorful, colorful flower. Well, yes, but what else? And so they would, this interaction between the inner generation, the intergenerational learning, it was, it was just fantastic. It made my heart sing. Oh, that's wonderful. And, that was um, a lot of talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, now, it's been almost two weeks since you had your opening. Have you, um, it sounds like you've gotten a lot of great feedback from the community. Could you share some of the, some, some um, anecdotes or anything that you may have heard directly from people about the center? We've just heard nothing but positive comments from it. We've had a little, we had a little two-year-old come and she came over and she was playing with her fairy garden. And while she was over there, we had this, this lady, Ethel, she's one of our community members. She's 93 years old. She got wheeled. She, we, they wheeled her over through the path because it was all flat. They wheeled her over and Ethel was sitting there planting. We have a raised garden bed, so you don't even have to get down on your knees. You can come in your wheelchair and just plant a plant or, you know, water the garden, whatever you want to do. So while Ethel was planting, little, little Zoe came over and she was talking to Ethel about what Ethel was doing. It was just a, a moment for us, just to see the young and the old, the lifelong learning that was being transferred in that moment. It was wonderful. Oh, that's great. And I'm sure some of our listeners, after hearing you know, uh, your testimony here, um, they're, they're probably thinking we need to, to open up a, a center similar to this, or at least maybe try some more outdoor, outdoor programming. Um, what advice do you have for anyone who might be interested in doing something like this? Probably just to start with a vision, know what you want to do, and know what message you want to communicate. For us, we wanted to communicate that we have literacy at all levels, that we wanted to go outdoors and you learn by doing. That was our message. And then we found different organizations that would help sponsor this. 
So we got our plan. We knew what we wanted to do. And then we found people that would support us financially. We went through different um, different community organizations, but we also went through other organizations that were national. And they came in and they supported us as well. And then obviously get the community involved. It, that doesn't take much. Libraries are an easy, easy sell. So getting the community on board, having a lot of volunteers, that's a tremendous help as well. We could not do it without volunteers, as everybody in the library world knows. That wraps another episode of Call Number with American Libraries. I'd like to thank Aaron, Sean, Susan, and Denny for speaking with us today. Join us next month as we look at hip-hop and libraries. I cannot wait to share this episode with you. Be sure to tune in. Do you have feedback regarding one of our segments? Something you're curious about or thoughts on a topic of interest to the library community that you'd like to see us address here on the podcast? Well, we want to hear from you. New to call number, you can reach out to us directly and tell us your thoughts and opinions with your own voice. Call 312-857-6761 and leave us a message that we featured perhaps in a future episode. That's 312-857-6761. We hope to hear from each and every one of you. As always, I'm Phil Moorhart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association. And this is Call Number with American Libraries. Mm -hmm.